Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to another episode of Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain on Revolution Radio. Making smarter financial decisions with your host, Rob Delson, former Fox News host and anchor at Roundtable Media with his team of market masters, Mark Lepresti, Managing Director of Mineta Advisory Partners, Co-Founder of Battlefin, Leading Data Platform, and a former Institutional Equities Trader at Lehman Brothers. Alex Massioli, Founder of Trade the Chain, Former Head of Institutional Prime Brokerage at Bquant. John Nigerian, Co-Founder of Market Rebellion, Former Co-Host of Halftime Report on CNBC, and Co-Founder of Option Monster and Trade Monster. Daily data insights and ticker updates direct from three of the world's top TradFi legal and crypto experts on Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain every Monday and Friday on all your favorite platforms. Let's get started. But we're here. It's the Bull Bears, and Blockchain Twitter spaces. We're half hour off. It's normally 5.30 Eastern, Tuesday and Thursday, with a special Sunday edition, our weekend edition on Sunday, also at 5.30. We're going to take you through all kinds of great stuff today. We've got a big show. We're going to be talking about everything from the Fed, the housing markets, what's going on in crypto. Is the SEC going after stablecoins next? And we have an amazing guest with us today, Dr. John Rutledge, who is an expert in so many things. He was actually part of... Part of the architect of the Reagan economic plan, advisor to the Bush White House on tax policy. He runs, he's the chairman of Rutledge Capital, private equity investment firm. He's on a lot of advisory boards. He, he's a professor in China um, at the Chinese Academy of Sciences and, part, and, and on the board of other things, including the Heartland Institute. And we're going to get to you, John, in about 15 minutes. So happy to have you to weigh in on the Fed on China and anything else you want. Uh, but first, I want a quick shout out to our sponsor, Mark Lepresti. It looks like the Money Show and their virtual conference are with us again today. Yeah, that's right, Rob. Um, the Money Show is uh, the proud sponsor of today's delayed but not canceled B3 Bulls, Blairs, Bears, and Blockchain. Sorry. Um, we are once again inviting our listeners to sign up for the Money Show's mid-year portfolio review. We should have the link to the registration page and the event agenda up in the crow's nest in a minute. Uh, this is an opportunity for investors and traders to adapt their strategies to fit the ever-changing conditions of these volatile markets. Participants will learn how to retool their strategies to exploit profitable opportunities that can boost their portfolio profits and better preserve capital. That's the mid-year portfolio review brought to you by The Money Show. This is an entirely free event. Go check it out, sign up, watch, learn, and have some knowledge dropped on you. You get to learn for free, just like you do on the Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain Twitter spaces. So, Mark, let's dive right in. We got a lot to cover. I'm excited about getting to John, to John Rutledge. Thanks for being with us. Excited about getting to you to talk about the Fed in a few minutes. But first, we're going to just 
give everybody out there, B3 Nation, as we always do, a quick update. Mark's going to give you a quick take on the current state of the markets. John's going to give you a little fantastic futures. And Alex and Nick from Trade the Chain will dive in on the, the big picture of, of cryptocurrencies right now. So where are we at on this, this happy Thursday, Mark? Well, I appreciate that, Rob. Thank you very much. Um, not a lot went on uh, today um, in in the markets as um, traders were sort of digesting Chairman Powell's uh, comments uh, up on the hill today. A lot of hawkish tone following uh, the uh, pause, the hawkish pause, as I referred to it last week. Um, we did see some interesting uh, rallies and some bullish activity in some of the major uh, tech stocks today. Um, but we did also see that rally that we had from last week taking a little bit of steam off the top as folks try to digest not only Chairman Powell's comments, but also the surprise 50 basis point rate hike out of the UK as the UK and Europe more broadly uh, tries desperately to rein in inflation that is even worse, if that's possible, even worse than it is here in the United States. Uh, but uh, while there wasn't a ton of action in terms of major market swings, uh, the, the NASDAQ was up a bit. Uh, the S&P was up a bit. The Dow was basically uh, flat uh, on the close. We did have some interesting action in some specific names that I'm going to let John, who I believe I see up on stage with the microphone, let John cover. John, what were you focused on today? Give us the macro minute, some fantastic futures, and some names. Sure. Well, as you said, Mark, the uh, uh, focus seemed to be the 50 basis point move that uh, the Bank of England did, uh, moving their rates up to 5% from 4.5%, and uh, 13th straight increase over there in the UK. Uh, but before I or anybody else goes off on why we shouldn't see the same here, of course, we'll let Dr. John Rutledge cover that in just a couple minutes. But I would say, Mark, that they have an inflation rate in the UK that's 8.6%. And if we believe that, um, our, our uh, inflation rate, if we believe it, is 5.4%. So we are substantially under the UK inflation rate. Um, so it doesn't imply as strongly as some may say otherwise that, oh, well, the Fed has to move here. They have to go hard because look what the Bank of England just did. They've had a whole bunch of problems that are much worse than the problems we've had, including energy, even when natural gas prices mercifully got that break from not seeing an extremely cold winter over there. Uh, but Mark, I'd say overall, the macro minute would be, yep, the fact that we've got uh, the Bank of England moving 50 bips, that definitely put a little bit of a pall on the markets here. And then fantastic futures, that would probably be, for me anyway, it was soybeans that are up 14%, but so many of the input futures into what Americans eat or what our animals that we end up uh, turning into food product eat. Uh, those are just not nearly as high as they were just six months ago and one year ago. And like I say, we'll cover a lot of that with Dr. Rutledge in just a bit. That's really interesting, John, because then I'm going to let you switch back to you, Rob. Um, although, John, I think you might have a, a stock or two that you were following today that we want to hear about. 
But I think I at least had anticipated, and apparently wrongfully, that we would see uh, more bullish price action in, in agriculture and things like soybeans and, and wheat and corn and other things, because it would certainly appear that the prices being charged for food at the end of the day, whether it's the stuff you buy in the supermarket or what you pay at a restaurant, we had, of course, Darden uh, reporting earnings today, uh, giving a rather uh, a sanguine outlook for the rest of the year. The stock trading down on that, although the earnings were pretty good, as we see that trade down happening that consumers are doing that we've talked about. But we have not seen at least what I thought would have been a fairly bullish period in, in agricultural uh, commodities. What, what do you attribute that to? Well, um, I, I'm not going to say oversupply yet, Mark, but I am going to say that I think the fact that we've got uh, pretty significant uh, uh, amounts of these crops looking like they could come in unless we get, of course, hail damage and or drought, um, some pretty good, perhaps even record yields. I think that's why we've not seen many of those softs in the agricultural space showing us nearly as much uh, uh, inflationary pressures. I will say, as far as those stocks that you mentioned that we were watching, I like the Amazon trade. I'm in Amazon. Um, I like the Amazon trade because even as the market flipped back and forth a little today, Amazon was pretty much just building on momentum from the moment that the first half hour or amateur hour finished trading and uh, moved up pretty nicely with the announcement of their prime day, which will be July 11th and 12th, becoming days, of course. And then uh, Spirit Aerosystems, SPR, Spirit Aerosystems, just last week, a week ago exactly from today, uh, there was strong put activity in that name. They had just announced that they said, look, we've averted a strike. Everything's fine. Boeing and Gulfstream, all of our uh, partners in this uh, with anything that to do with basically aerospace um, is going to be just fine. And then the uh, union machinists rejected that contract overnight, and they said, we got to shut down the line. And as soon as they announced that, the stock fell from 30 bucks down to 25 25 about a $5 drop, obviously. And those uh, puts that they were buying went from 80 cents to about $2.55. So that's pretty close to a triple mark. And, uh, you know, again, we offered a BOGO, buy one, get one free at marketrebellion.com forward slash bang for anybody that uh, wanted to try a, a month and get a second month free, marketrebellion.com forward slash bang. People should take you up on that. It is such a great offer. Hey, quick question before we get the crypto outlook. Sure. Does, does, the, does the sinking of the billionaire sub, you know, the billionaire tourist sub, and losing a couple of uber wealthy I mean, you know, billionaires, basically, Britain, Pakistan, does the market react at all to that, given the, the, the range of what they're probably invested in and what they're doing? Not the sub itself, the, the fact that it was loaded, you know, like a billionaire loaded sub. Um, I'd say no, Rob, only because if it was Elon Musk, of course, uh, going into space or Bezos going into space, for that matter, of course, um, you know, the galaxy uh, uh, subspace flights and so forth, 
I think it would have more of an impact on those companies. But this one, I don't think so. I don't think, uh, you know, my heart goes out to them, but I don't really think this impacts um, markets in any measurable way. Just curious. I mean, and what a weird story for everybody out there watching it. You know, you go chase the Titanic down and then you die the same way as the Titanic. Right? It's it's one of those that will kind of hit an icon, a chord in the in the pop culture mindset of everybody. Fascinating how we all focused on it. Um, uh, let me switch over to crypto because moving today's show along. We started a little late. It's the Bulls, Bears and Blockchain Show Tuesday, Thursday at 530 at Get River Radio. Follow us at Get River Radio. Tweet the space out. We did start a half hour late today, simply, but we did start. As Mark said, we were late, but it was at Twitter Spaces was down across the board. And uh, please follow all the hosts and guests. Uh, Dr. John Rutledge coming up in a couple minutes. Alex, what, Bitcoin is, is is cresting past 30. What's, what's the story? Hey, Rob, uh, well, before you get to that, I just want to back up to uh, what Mark said of uh, the Bank of England there interest rate hikes. I mean, it's, been, it's blown me away. Um, you know, go back to uh, August of last year, September of last year, there were 10%, right? Uh, they were outpacing us with inflation, like nobody's business, energy playing a big uh, factor in that. Um, but I do want to point out two outliers that are in the region. Um, one of them is Switzerland, which I believe is about at 1.75% right now. And the other is Turkey, which crypto played a mere part in uh, uh, in that economy, trying to infiltrate it back, uh, going back two and three years ago with the instability of its local currency, which just hiked 950 basis points. So uh, be happy we're not Turkey um, when it comes to inflation. Uh, the other thing is uh, breaking news. Just uh, was checking out the tradethechain.com dashboard before um, going to the crypto segment. It looks like, uh, let's see here, FTX sues ex Clinton aide for seven hundred million. Apparently, Sam Bankman Fried had given seven hundred million to uh, K Five, which is uh, Michael Keeves or Kives, uh, who runs K Five Global and is former Hillary Clinton aide. So. Just something that's breaking and interesting uh, over there. Um, put your tips on. But uh, it's a Bitcoin left market on a bull run starting Tuesday and running into Wednesday with a total crypto market cap now standing at $1.17 trillion. Even though it's tapered off, uh, being even on the day, we did see $46 billion tradings, which I am happy about. I like it when that number goes up. I like it when uh, volatility kicks in. Obviously, a lot of this positive price action has been attributed to a flurry of spot BTC ETFs uh, filing announcements that happened literally during our show Tuesday uh, after BlackRock's S1 filing lit up the news cycle earlier in that day. Um, some of those filings came from the heavyweight asset manager Wisdom Tree. It was $93 billion under management. Uh, Invesco, very famous global uh, markets firm and crypto ETF startup Valkyrie. So um, a lot of it, uh, a lot of it being attributed to those as well. And you know, going back uh, over the last two years, uh, all all those firms, with the exception of Vesco, had filed S ones and got them shot down back in 2021. Uh, Bitcoin has now seen its market dominance exceed 50 crypto market for the first time since the first half of April in 21. That's also very exciting. Along with that extent, statistics 
found out over 30,000, as you mentioned, Rob, for the third time since the first half of April year, yet only the fourth time since June 2nd of 2022, over a year, uh, Bitcoin trading. Volume was up over 45% versus average, which uh, today, which is another number I like to see, um, and is currently sitting at 30,064. They're acting very much in the same way, trading volume up 41% versus average on 8.8 billion trading uh, the last 24 hours, sitting at 1879. Right now, we're seeing mixed and red, uh, mixed red and green on the screens for the one hour, but that little bull run we had, well, it made most of the top 100 coins in the green for the seven day. Um, so investors uh, definitely happy about that. We'll see if they take profits. One standout I'd like to mention before closing this up is Serum, ticker SRM, which is up 58% in the 24 hours, 70% on the week. And for those of you that don't know, Serum is a DEX software built on the Solana blockchain, uh, which solves for capital inefficiencies with traders, with faster transactions and settlement times, as well being cost-effective because, as we all know, that's what Solana blockchain is known for. And I like capital efficiency. So, uh, hey, Alex, here. Alex um, yes, sir? I know you uh, put out a, a rather, not so much cryptic, but funny tweet about a, a host <laughs> on TV talking about crypto being dead at 6,000. Bitcoin, of course, is what she was talking about. And I've I've not seen too many hosts of various financial media come out and either tout a stock or basically say a stock was crap. But she came straight out and said, hey, this is uh, the, the, the crypto's dead. And this was in 2020 when Bitcoin was like 6,300. You have any comment on that, my friend? <laughs> I, I do. I, I remember that day when it happened. I was startled uh, that that particular, uh, you know, anchor uh, on that Biden network actually not only dismissed Bitcoin, but essentially dismissed the whole asset class because it went down in price. So, yeah, that was kind of startling. I'd like to see them, you know, not cover maybe uh, Tesla the next time it dips. Well, <laughs> yeah, right. What, what about right. this one, Rob? I pulled it up just to see what the uh, performance was from that same day in 2020. Um, Berkshire Hathaway is up about 58%, I think, uh, in the 50s anyway. And Bitcoin's up 250%. So um, I, I think that might have been... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that might have been one of those whoops. I wish I didn't say that to have it on tape. Don't bet against. 100%. Don't bet against the orange pill. I'm telling you all out there. You know, not saying go buy Bitcoin tomorrow, although it's a good idea for everyone to have some, in my opinion. But do not bet against Bitcoin. More and more, it's apparent that long term, it has been an amazing. It has always been a great buy. If you held on to it for any lengthy period of time. You never lost money. You always made money. And right now, it's a great it's a great question, John. Great analogy. Hey, Nick Mancini, I'm going to put you on hold for the crypto section because I want to bring Dr. John Rutledge in. He's been patiently waiting. John, we'd be very excited to have you as a guest. Um, and, and in particular, want to get into a little with you with, with both the interest rate stuff and talk a little about China and China and the U.S. because you definitely – you know, you've been around for a while. I remember your name popping up when I was a grad student at Tufts Fletcher School um, and your name popping up around, you know, helping architect 
the Reagan plan, which has influenced the U.S. economy for decades in one way or another. On the, and I want you to talk for a second about that. But on the interest rates, I really want to bring you into our conversation on that because we've had a long going battle on our show back and forth. It's a lot of fun. And John has been very much in the they're going to cut in the fall. Marco Presti has held on to the it will not happen. And Alex Massioli has has kind of not gone back and forth, Alex, but, you know, you've you were wrong on the first run, but sort of have a long term vision. But but, John, I know you're a a an expectation of cuts in the fall. We'd love to have your take, your big picture take. We'll open that conversation up because it's really great to have you. B3 Nathan, this is a, you're going to get some great insight here. Thanks so much. You know, I've I've worked with John and uh, his brother Pete for m- many years on on different networks, and uh, it's, it's a pleasure to be with you here today. As you said, I've been around a while. I actually had dinner with Thomas Jefferson in the White House in the beginning. <laughs> but uh, but uh, one of the things about when you're old is you've been a lot of places and seen a lot of things, and it burns off all of the emotions. And I tell first thing I tell investors is you can't afford to be emotional when you sit down in front of the screen. Uh, you have to leave that at the door when you come in. Uh, that's especially true regarding the the rates and the, and the Fed. Truth is nobody knows what they're going to do. Uh, we just we just all have to make bets on it. Uh, I have a bet, and my bet is that the rates will will be uh, headed down from here instead of up. If if Powell were sitting here, he would disagree with me. Uh, but uh, I think that they're talking their own book. You know, uh, I think I published the first test of rational expectations 51 years ago. And so I've been all over this topic for a very long time. Rational expectations is the idea that people are pretty smart and uh, at least as smart as economists. And uh, and uh, it has now dominated uh, macroeconomics and the Fed. And so the Fed has taken the idea and abused it. They now think that their job is to influence and manipulate expectations by making three speeches a day from the governors and from the regional bank presidents telling you what they want you to think. And right now they're all making bearish speeches because they don't want the markets to go up and they want uh, uh, they they want you to help bring inflation down for them make their job easier the problem is they're trying to do all this at the end of the biggest pandemic the world has had in 100 years this 3 years has been a bear and uh, because of that uh, we are now floating along with really no good data uh, what i mean by that is the bad data problem is uh, ubiquitous. Uh, in January, we had an employment report come out. The Fed reacted to it because there was a lot of jobs. Well, it turns out that there was a huge seasonal adjustment change in that report, and they, they really didn't go up that much. Uh, so seasonal adjustment has to be estimated during a normal, smooth time, not during the last three years. There hasn't been any seasonal in the last three years. It's been chaos. Uh, same is true for the uh, uh, the inflation reports. Uh, about half of the inflation since the year 2000 has happened because nobody would go to work and nobody could get what they needed to get to uh, assemble products. And so it's really supply restriction or supply chain problems. I'm sitting in Newport Beach. I can look out my window and count the ships lined up at Long Beach waiting to unload their 
their containers. And right now, today, I counted 20. Um, so until that goes away, you don't really know how to read the data. So what do you do? And the biggest... Well, I was going to say, what do you do with that? I mean, it's interesting, your point that, that if, if, if Chairman Powell were here, he'd disagree with you. And my first thought would be, well, you're actually an economist and a guy who works in, in the markets. Most of these guys yep. are just academics, and that's part of the problem. So you may be right. The markets may be right. What makes you think they will actually respond to that and cut rates? Well, it's like judging a beauty contest. You have to make a guess about what somebody else is going to say, going to do, right? Going to vote. And uh, the votes, of course, are on the Federal Reserve Board. Uh, the the problem is that the Fed is using that information that comes out, the data that I'm, dirty data that I'm talking about, uh, as if it's good data. And the CPI is the best example of that. This last CPI number that came out last week, the one month change was 0.1%, good. The 12 months uh, uh, change was 4.0%, uh, which is down by about half of what it was a year ago. But inside of that 4% is a, a very strange creature called shelter. And the shelter number is 35% of the index. Here's how they get that number. Uh, there are a certain number of people that live in apartments that pay rent in America. And there are a bunch of more people that own their own houses. In fact, there are five times more people that own houses than they're paying rent. Uh, they call around Irvine Company and other big real estate companies. They say, what are you doing with the rent? So they do a survey of those guys to get the rental number. That rental number only applies to things that are rented. That's 7.5% of the CPI, not 35% of the CPI. So where do they get the rest of it? They pretend that I'm sitting here in my own house. They pretend that I rented it from myself using a rent they got per square foot by measuring the rent over in the next town over where there's a bunch of apartments. It's really stupid. And uh, that that number last month was 12 months inflation rate was 8.7% uh, 8, uh, 8 on the apartments. So if you, uh, so if you, if you dig underneath that and you fight your way through all the footnotes, not only at the labor department, but at the, uh, at the BLS, you find out that, uh, that what they've done in these numbers is they pretend that if you own your own house, that you have uh, a corporation you've created to own the house and you've rented it to yourself. And when you pay, the, the rent you pay is the rent they imagined from the rental housing. And they count that as part of your personal income. So once a month, we get a personal income and per personal outlay statement also from the government. That personal income, last uh, uh, the last uh, number that came out was $18 trillion a year. $2 trillion of the $18 trillion was imaginary rent on your own damn house. And so if you strip that out of there, which makes no sense at all, if I've bought a house, I've basically bought a lifetime of housing services. I don't care what happens to rent for the rest of my life anyway. If you take that number out, take the shelter number out of the CPI, instead of 4.0, it was 1.4. If you just take out the imaginary part of it, the owned houses, it goes from 4.0 to 2.0. So basically, the last 12 months, prices have increased by 2%, not 4%. Now, the Fed doesn't know that, and the Fed will fight like crazy to, to buy these stories. But what Powell is doing is telling you, well, that number is coming down slowly because people only change their 
leases once a year. And so you can see it come down ahead of you. Well, that's for an investor. That's, that's what we want because over the next 12 months, you can see rent inflation, shelter inflation coming from 8.7 and 8% down to about three or 4%. That's going to bring the CPI down into the, into the twos. And so they're going to be facing the problem of having an inflation number falling away from them and a lot of bearish speeches that they're making. And sooner or later, they're going to have to get... So, uh, so John, this is fascinating. And I know John and Mark want to jump into this. Let me ask you one more question, and then we'll, we'll yeah. open it up a little more. So you've been around, as you said, a long time. You've seen a lot happen. You said don't have a lot of emotion. You know, that's important. You also were part of architecting what I said, and I would argue is one of the most influential economic shifts in the last 100 years in America around the Reagan plan. When you look right now... And we do have a Fed and a, and a system that maybe needs to be looking at new data that it's not. Are you optimistic? And do you have a sort of in your head a strategy for how you navigate through that? we got a lot of people who are listening on this who are investors trying to make their way. Do you look and go, I'm pretty optimistic? Is it relative? And are you going, here's what I do to navigate through this, having a lot of wisdom? Because you don't get someone like you on that often who's seen as much as you've seen. Well, the, the best reason for optimism is, for our country is that decisions that get made here get made by a lot of people arguing with each other. Not one guy who wakes up in the morning with hemorrhoids and decides to nuke his neighbor. And so when you look at the rest of the world, it's now being dominated by autocrats. Xi Jinping in China, Putin, uh, Erdogan in Turkey, uh, and so forth. And those are very risky places because they've only got one guy deciding everything. Now, here, we tend to ha have smoother policies over long terms because of this. You could call that the central limit theorem at a cocktail party or the law of large numbers if you want. But it's because we have 500 guys fighting in Washington all the time. And what comes out of it is the average of something. Now, what is the, what is coming out of that? The Fed somehow relaxed onto this notion that 2% is a magical inflation number. If I had to make one, I'd make zero the right number. But uh, they, they, they're not listening to me. So the, they, th their policy has been too, too much money for too long up until COVID. And then when the COVID inflation numbers hit, you know, too high, too, high, too fast. And so they're going to have to back off from that. In terms of fiscal policy, the government dumped money out of helicopters during COVID, and people at one point had $3 trillion in the bank from it, and now they have about a trillion and a half. So they still have some money. That's why consumer spending is so high relative to normal, and that's why a recession right now is probably just not going to happen. Uh, the, uh, uh, the tax rates, uh, you get some change there. Uh, budget deficit, I never worry about budget deficits. Most of the guys screaming uh, on TV are screaming about debt that's going to bury us. Truth is, in our country, wait, 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 Tom, uh, GDP you is. You are not yeah. worried about deficits, and that's fascinating to me. And you're not thinking we're hitting a recession. Common wisdom is we're we're heading for one or in one. Yep, yep, yep. So, so what? So, so why why not? We have a twenty-three trillion dollar GDP, uh, which is, sounds like a big number. But in this country alone, we have $500 trillion of assets. So we've got about 20 years worth of GDP just sitting around. And the desk you're sitting in front of right now is not part of this year's GDP, nor is probably the car you drove to work in or the house you're sitting in. It's old stuff. Uh, we have in this country uh, 284 million cars on the road, 
That's 20 years worth of car production. We have 142 million houses and apartments. Uh, so when you talk about the housing market, all I care about is what happens to the price of the old ones. The, I want to know about the price of the old cars, not the new cars. And, I'll, and I want to know about the balance sheet, what happens to the assets and liabilities. The net worth here is about $150 trillion. So this is a huge, rich place with a huge balance sheet that buffers us from a lot of the ups and downs. The only real recession worry I'd have is that every once in a while, the Fed jerks back too hard on the chain and they screw up the banking system. And when that happens, credit just stops. It doesn't get more expensive. It just stops. We go into non-price rationing. That happened in 2008, and this happened a half dozen other times in my life where I was watching. During that time, you want to have a lot of cash because you can be the black market for people who aren't getting money from their bank for working capital. But right now, I think we're in a spot where inflation's coming down. Uh, the Fed is unaware of it, so they're going to talk tough all the way back to the bank. And uh, we, we're just not going to have a big drop, uh, a big drop in uh, production because we're still healing our stuff. The long term, what I really worry about, I worry about post-COVID or long COVID. I don't mean by that people who are having brain fog. I mean that in history, if you go back a thousand years, after every pandemic, there's a period where people don't trust each other. They lose faith in everything, institutions included, and there tend to be a lot of fights. There are autocrats and there are wars and there are fights. So right now, if you say, well, what does that make me want to own? I have a bunch of cash over on the side, always ready for a credit crunch. Uh, but uh, uh, what's a good stock for that? Raytheon. You know, we've used up al almost all the missiles in the world in the last two in the last year and a half, and we got to make more. Uh, the more we worry about China, the more you're going to need missiles and ammunition for things. And it's only made by not too many companies. You know, it's Raytheon, Northrop. Lockheed, Boeing, but Boeing has other stuff going, a big other, it's GD, General Dynamics, and it's uh, um, it's Rheinmetall in Germany, and there's one or two of those in, in every one of the countries. Uh, that's where I want a good chunk of money right now, because this world is not going to get friendly. What a great insight. I know John and Mark are, are, are dying to jump in on this, and, and both have advocated sure. for the rate thing. Go ahead, Jeff. Sure. I'll, I'll, and Doc, thank you so much for coming on Clearing that, that's fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, so what if, instead of just talking the talk, what if Jay Powell actually decided that the Bank of England's right, even though he, he has been reading the wrong playbook, he decides, you know what, not only are we going to do a quarter point, but for those who thought we should have done a full point six months ago or a year ago, I'm going to give them 50 bips just to show how comfortable. What happens to the economy if they throw a 50 bip increase into it at this point? Well, the the, the, the macho rebound is what you what you worry about. I worry about that too because I know all these guys on the on the board. And if they if they did that, you you saw what happened after the rates went up in uh, you know early part of the year is we lost a bunch of banks. And uh, that uh, that was a big story, and it it's not gone. I mean, right now I have essentially zero dollars in banks, and any cash I have is sitting in the money market fund with treasury bills. Uh, so you would you would have more bank failures, 
uh, right now the, the net worth of, of banks is in, entirely wiped out by their losses on bonds. Uh, and uh, they, they talk about this accounting standard about they don't have to recognize their losses. I, thought, I remember long ago, somebody wanted to know if I recognized, if we were going to recognize Red China. I said, there's a, there's a billion people over there. How can you not recognize it? You know, I mean, this idea of recognizing a loss is ridiculous. You know, if it's worth $10 instead of $20, it's worth $10. And uh, the Fed knew that Silicon Valley Bank was broke in, in October last year, and they had a meeting about it two weeks before the thing went upside down. They did nothing about it. So we'll have more of those. We'll have uh, more tightening of credit. Uh, when Tightening of credit in terms of higher rates is one problem, but right now, uh, you can't get money for a, uh, for a commercial mortgage-backed security. Um, there are a bunch of guys in the real estate business that are going to be refinancing in the next year to two years. Uh, banks won't refinance them right now. So unless they can bring back a financing market uh, in the next year, you'll have big problems in parts of commercial real estate. Which parts? Office buildings, because there's still no butts in the chairs. And uh, people are just hanging on because they've got uh, already signed up debt. But the banks won't won't roll that debt over when when it comes time. Hotels, whole different story. We I'm I'm a chief investment officer of a of a New York uh, Dubai company called Safanad, and uh, we did a bunch of hotel investments in the last year because when people started coming back to the hotels, they didn't want to travel overseas. They filled up the hotels here. And these guys are printing money uh, right now. Uh, what about uh, office? Uh, office is no good. Shopping centers, I don't like that either. But industrial stuff is still okay because, as you said, uh, Amazon's coming back. They got to put stuff in warehouses. So right now, commercial real estate's interesting. If you have the tightening you're talking about, it's going to get very interesting. I like to buy things at half price. And there hasn't been anything for sale in real estate in the last two years. But if they tighten, they will be, and then I'll be able to buy a bunch of stuff real cheap. Thanks, Doc. Thank you so much. Sure. Mark, I know you want to weigh in. I know you've got a lot of thoughts. <laughs> well, Rob, you know me too well, Dr. Rollinger. It's, it's uh, echoing John's uh, comments, of course. We're very, very privileged to have you on, and thank you Great for joining in, Mark. No, it's it's our pleasure, and thank you for addressing the B three Nation, and and I agree with. I'm going to go with ninety plus percent of what you said. Um, John and I have been talking about being bullish on defense stocks for a long time now. We've had uh, uh, some uh, friends of ours that come on the show and that advise us on things related to defense uh, spending and defense companies like uh, General Anthony Tata, who was uh, most recently number three in the Pentagon under Trump, and uh, Brigadier General, who told us a long time ago, eight months ago, that we were out of bullets and out of ammunition, and that that would ultimately, uh, and unfortunately for global conflict, but ultimately lead to you know bullish uh, tailwinds for the defense sector. Mm -hmm. um, but but I guess my my question to you, and by the way, I'll also say when you talk about the Fed relying on outdated and arguably inaccurate data, that's also something that we complain about all the time. But I'm still sort of sitting here wondering why it is that you believe, notwithstanding everything that you said, that the Fed will cut because the Fed relies on the data that it relies on. 
Um, it's not seeing the disinflationary pressures come to roost yet, and I think that they are looming out there. Um, and they're nowhere near their 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 target number. So I, I would love to see rate cuts this year. I've maintained for a long time now, well, long time, several months now, that I don't think that we're going to see them. Um, I, I, I talked a lot about uh, the hawkish pause that we did get last week, where I think Chairman Powell came as close as he was going to come to explicitly letting the market know that additional rate hikes were actually in the offing uh, for for future meetings uh, after the summer uh, the summer break, so uh, again, while I agree with everything that you've said, it, it appears that the Fed does what it can sort of predictably do, and it, I'm still not in the camp of believing that we're going to see cuts this year. So, so why to bring it back to the core question? Why do you believe that that's going to happen? Well, first of all, I'm frequently wrong. So uh, it's possible it's possible it won't happen. This is just my view. Uh, how long did it take the Fed to f- go from transitory inflation uh, to uh, uh, spiking the rates? Not very long. These guys say they're data dependent, which means they wake up in the morning, they see what comes out of the fax machine, and they decide what to do based on that. So them predicting what they're going to do six or 12 months from now is ridiculous. They'll do whatever the data tells them to do. As you said, they have things they look at. Well, the interesting thing about this bad data story is that I can see the data six months ahead to 12 months ahead because I can see that uh, uh, I can see that the rental numbers are going to be coming down. Uh, 50% of a part, basically the entire shelter story rests on the rents from a very small number of apartments, 7% of the index. Uh, those things, 50% of those have 12 year, twelve month leases and about 30% have no month or one month leases. So those 12 month leases, when the prices change, they're up. Prices today are, there's a new CoreLogic report yesterday, prices today are 25% higher than they were before COVID for apartments. But the last numbers are actually not rising at all. We're just beginning to fall a little bit from that peak. I can see those apartment numbers uh, essentially dealing themselves out to the data each month over the next 12 months because that's how the data works. And so I can see the data the Fed is going to see next December right now. And you could do, if you put those CoreLogic type rental numbers into the into the shelter index, push it through the OER and see what it does to the overall overall index. Two percent of the four percent CPI number was uh, was this bogus shelter cost. That two percent is going to become zero. And so you're going to see two come out of it. Well what about next next problem is well they don't like the CPI anyway. They like the PCE, right? To, uh, consumption deflator. Uh, so what about that? Well, the truth is this 35% weight of shelter in the PCE is actually 11%, uh, excuse me, 35% in the CPI is 11% in the PCE. What that means is PCE tends to come in uh, lower other, other than the swings with energy and food uh, than, the, than the CPI does. And it's about 100 basis points uh, exaggerated inflation, whereas the CPI is 200 basis points 
exaggerated inflation. So I basically I can see those air pockets being squeezed out over the next six months. They don't have to agree that when they ha when that happens, they don't have to cut rates, but they're going to be embarrassed to find out that their predictions are so uh, wrong. I haven't seen any ability of the board of governors of the Federal Reserve to forecast anything. It's so interesting. And, uh, oh, sorry, John. I didn't mean to cut you in. No, no. But, it's uh, so interesting. Uh, and, and we got a few more minutes with you, and I do want to ask you about China. But if I want to just summarize for everybody out there, the, the, the cliff note version of this is, to your answer to Mark, the Fed, you first may be wrong, sure, but you're right a lot. Yeah. But the Fed looks at data, as you say, out of fax machines, basically. They're looking at the mm -hmm. data, and it almost doesn't matter what they tell us now. You're looking going there. The reality is going to catch up with them, and they'll either adjust to that or they'll look ridiculous. That seems like what you're saying, why you're confident they may shift their strategy despite... Yeah, I, I, I'm convinced for sure that what they're saying to us now is what they want us to believe. They're manipulating our expectations. I think they probably also believe what they're saying and it comes out and uh, what comes out in those dot plots. But I think the world is going to uh, prove them wrong, and then they're going to have to back up again, like they did a year ago, the other direction. Interesting. So, a couple of minutes left. China. You you teach in China. You 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 had a long history being involved in it. We you know we'll have you back on and have a longer conversation. Sure. But your quick thought sure. on you know it's been so politicized, and clearly China is is a. Is, is a growing massive economic superpower with a lot of problems, also a lot of opportunities, and they don't have consensus, so they can sort of drive things through. What's your big picture take on, you know, the 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 argument China versus the U.S.? Are we going to share the stage? Is that what it's going to look like? Well, ten years ago, China was run by a hundred people that live across the street from their version of the White House, so every decision was a consensus under Hu Jintao. That's all gone. Xi Jinping makes every decision himself, and he's become a demigod in the place. So it's run by its own autocrat now, and he's a, and he's a total thug. And so it's going to be whatever he wants. That has already destroyed the environment for capital inflows for China, which means China's going to grow more slowly than it did before. It's also undercut their own tech sector. I met Jack Ma, the founder of Alibaba, at the beginning of Alibaba. He's an amazing man, but he had his legs cut out by Xi Jinping two years ago or four years ago now. And he's now teaching business in Tokyo. And so they're driving their own tech sector and their own wealth out of the country. So what was a fast-growing economy is now an economy that's struggling. Uh, it's, uh, the biggest problem I see is that in the days of consensus, they could take a very long-term view about things like Taiwan and then Hong Kong. But right now, Xi Jinping's view ends at the end of his life, and he's about 70 years old now. And so we worry that, I, I worry that uh, he at some point wakes up and says, well, let's go ahead and let's invade Taiwan. And if they do, it's a bloody disaster for everybody, and I hope that doesn't happen. So is your... I've been there a hundred times, and uh, I would love, I think the U.S. and China are people, are natural allies and friends. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's been screwed up. It's been screwed up by the governments and our government reacting to it is actually making it worse. Well, so quick thought on this. Is your take then the conventional wisdom is we need to be worried about China overtaking us, whether it's as a central reserve currency, whether it's as a, you know, as a world currency, I mean, whether it's just as a sheer growth and, and, and economic power. Is your take actually over time the opposite might be true, that we're actually going to stay ahead of that curve because of what you just said? Yeah. 
Yes, it is. And their, their population is already shrinking, and half their people will be gone by the end of the century. It'll be half its size. The economy has stopped growing and, and will fall behind the U.S. as we go, uh, as we go forward. Uh, the military ambition is something else. Now, they got a, they got a, a pretty good-sized military, uh, maybe not as good as ours as Mr. Putin found recently. But uh, uh, th there are issues there, and they, they intend to uh, apply pressure to their neighbors all around, uh, all around Asia. And so I wouldn't rule out some kind of conflict. I hope they have enough sense not to, not to do that. In terms of reserve currency, uh, the, the idea that the RMB is going to become a reserve currency is ridiculous. Uh, if I'm in China and I own a, a bushel full of RMB, the yuan, I can't even sell them. It's a non-convertible currency. You can't sell it. So you can't have reserve currency that people can't buy and sell. What matters to reserve currencies is not what you transact in. I can transact in, in uh, hickory nuts if I want. Uh, it's what you hold. And right now, people hold about 60% of their reserves in dollars. It used to be 70. Uh, we've given up uh, some of that. Uh, but it's it's not going to go to the yuan. The, you know, the European is a, is a, a competitor, and, and so is the yen in, increasingly, I think, well, again. But it's not going to be the BRICS. The BRICS are, are autocrat-ridden, uh, inconvertible currency guys in China, their leader. Just well, that's just not gonna happen. What I love your insights. What fascinating takes. It's so good to have you on the show. I think we can all agree. You know, this was just a great, great set of insights. Um, John, I want to let you say the goodbyes because you know you brought John to us and you guys have worked together a long time. So you get the last word in here with him. Oh, again, thank you so much, Doc, for coming on, uh, sharing those insights. Like you said, you're not always right. I'm not always right, um, but. It's it's always a, a a great thesis that you lay out, and I really appreciate your time and your insight. So thank you so much, Dr. John Rutledge. It's my pleasure, John. Anytime. Thanks, John. Really appreciate it. Come back and do this again with us. This is great. And you bet. All right, uh, you're listening to Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain Twitter Spaces Tuesday, Thursday, five thirty p.m. Eastern Time at Get Rev Radio, a Sunday edition, five thirty. Eastern Time as well. Follow us at Get Rev Radio. We started a half hour late because Twitter Spaces was down across the board, so we're running a half hour long. But in a few minutes, we will switch over to our Beyond B3 After Show where you can jump in um, and be part of the action. Um, you can participate. It's a lot of fun, so stick around for that. Please follow our follow us at Get Rev Radio. Share the space, tweet the space out, and follow all our hosts, including. Um, what an amazing guest we just had with uh, with Dr. John Rutledge. So that's kind of stuff we love to bring. It's like bringing market masters to the market masters. Guys, that was just super interesting. I mean, I love his counter takes on things. It was absolutely so nice to hear a, such a thought out reasoning to why everything we think may not be true. And Alex, you know, I know we short changed the crypto section a little bit. But, um, you know, let's jump in. And certainly you may have a thought on what what Dr. Rutledge just shared with us. But I do want to talk about what's going on with the SEC possibly going after stable coins. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Uh, listen, I I'm, we I didn't let Nick uh, talk at all this uh, this hour. So I'm going to let him uh, run on this one as he's been paying attention to the news as it breaks. But um, it, it definitely has been uh, very suspect. And don't forget DeFi as well, which is even important in my opinion. 
Yeah, well, Nick, jump in. Stablecoins and DeFi both are under the gun, and it's a big deal, right? If they go after stablecoins, like, I mean, that's that's serious. That could really affect Coinbase is already getting battered, but I'm just saying. Yeah, I appreciate you guys bringing me in. Uh, We did mention, you know, Circle who issues USDC on the show on Tuesday. And uh, we got a couple of comments from Jerome Powell yesterday during his testimony in front of the Senate uh, Financial Committee. And uh, two kind of bombshell quotes that I'll that I'll list right here. Uh, One is crypto assets appear to have staying power as an asset class. And he followed that up with we see stable coins as a form of money. Uh, he also included that he does not see a, you know, a representation of the C- of a CBDC being issued and managed by the Fed. He mentioned that the uh, that the the banks of the American banks would serve as intermediaries for that. So also clawing back some of those tinfoil hat and conspiracy theories in reference to a CBDC. But there is, of course, legislation running around. Uh, and, you know, it seems to be garnering more bipartisan support now that we're obviously seeing these ETF listings. Uh, and Jerome Powell kind of making the first statement towards, you know, a CBDC and and stable coins uh, being, you know, some somewhat regulated or accepted by the federal government. Is so that a good all thing fast- or a bad thing, Nick? Because he's also saying we should bring more regulation in, right? So are you seeing this as a positive, a negative, or you're not sure? So the market took it as a positive yesterday, but if you pay close attention, we are more or less near the same price as we were when Jerome Powell said that. So it seems like the market definitely accepted it as being a positive, but uh, now we're, we're obviously, you know, we got rejected off of 31K, which is kind of the the next level we have to break to continue this bull run. Um, but, you know, I think as it pertains to, to stable coins and CBDCs, the fact that Jerome Powell said that he sees them as a form of money, that in itself is going to open up a lot of doors for people that want to either, you know, widen the industry or continue to further get in the industry, you know, i.e. BlackRock and large institutions like that. No, go ahead. No, so uh, I, I just think this is one of the most important pieces of news that we're covering on this show today, guys, because, you know, we cover Coinbase a lot. This has the potential for taking a very serious chunk out of Coinbase's revenue. I've been saying for a long time now, a long time, maybe as much as a year, that stablecoin were or is one of the categories that is the most ripe for regulatory attack, both from the SEC and the Treasury. Why? Because the Treasury Department or any other government that issues currency does not like challenges to its monopoly. And and if we believe everything that we've been reporting on this show, and I, I think that we do, as it relates to the setup for a CBDC, as it relates to the regulatory onslaught from the SEC, as it relates to permitting the majors, the Black Rocks, the Fidelities of the world, to file for products at a time that the rest of the world would be scratching their heads and saying, this is completely absurd. It's as our friend GRD said in the post that we retweeted yesterday, it seems like it's a setup to clear the field for a U.S. government CBDC. And if you own Coinbase, I'm going to say it right now, I'm looking to determine how to trade this, and the trade is 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 heavily bearish. If this happens, and I think it will, this could represent as much of a third 
of Coinbase's total revenue, right? But in the terms of the total income that it, it, that it earns, you can be looking at a 27% by some um, estimates whack to Coinbase's revenue and reserves. That is going to impact the stock massively. It's a continuation of the story that we've been covering around what all of this onslaught of regulatory action, unprecedented in its scope and aggressiveness in the history of the SEC, in my estimation, and whether or not it is, as Genevieve is suggesting, clearing the playing field for a CBDC and consolidation of power and crypto in this country. This is a really, really important story. And it should, and if it does carry into beyond B three, so be it. I'd be happy to take questions. Yeah, Mark, it, it will, Martian. You bring up great points, and Alex, to referencing to those points, you know, Nick said before that, that Powell in his testimony says, "Look, it's not going to be the government that's going to do it. We'll do it through banks." Is that actually make any difference? I mean, Mark's point. Put your tinfoil hat on as well. You know, it, Mark's making a pretty pretty compelling case for where they're going with this. No, I mean, well, I, I don't, I don't really see a difference at this point between, uh, you know, banks, uh, you know, running the show with stable coins uh, or the treasury. Uh, I think at this point they're one the same, um, and um, you know, Mike Pinhat is still on with this. Uh, it, it is worrisome, um, but I do believe in regulation of stable coins, uh, just not necessarily by uh, Big Brother. Um, and, and that being, it is a form of currency. People do transact in it every day. It needs to be regulated in order to preserve its integrity, uh, to the everyday person. Um, but I think that, you know, crypto native firms have shown their capabilities far and beyond, uh, the government and bulge bracket banks and being able to do so competently. So how would you do it? So talk for that for a second, Alex. What what does that mean? Tell everybody out there. So you, you're saying some regulation, but let it be from within the within the within the business community, so to speak. Yeah, just because it has to be regulated doesn't mean that Jamie Dimon needs to own it, or or that you know B of A needs to own it. Uh, you can you can regulate <clears throat> you can regulate Circle. You can regulate you know uh, 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 Paxos. You can regulate. Any, any entity that was born in this industry, that has the industry experience, uh, and also has the uh, economics experience in order to uh, maintain it, and has also, which these two firms have, have gone down, gone down the regulatory pathway as far as they've been allowed to go, uh, Paxos being a trust, you know, a level below a bank, uh, in order to uh, do this, and still yet they get attacked. Uh, by the uh, regulators. So, yeah, you don't need to be Jamie Dimon in order to, you know, have a seat at the show. I think it's a scam. So last question on this to you, Alex. When you hear what, what Powell's saying, are you disturbed? Are you, you know, Nick said the market reacted positively, then kind of stabilized. Are you concerned? Does he understand what he's saying? Or are you buying into Mark's theory that he knows exactly what he's saying? And what he's saying is, on the one hand, stable coins are currency. It's good. On the other hand, all no, it's economy. I, I agree. I agree with Mark. And and any any anything that transacts as a, as a stable currency is a threat to any central bank in any country. Um, and I think Jay Powell is uh is is correct in what he's saying i'm scared on the road that we're gonna go down and and i would love to say i have faith in the system on this one but we've already seen that to be proved against us in so many instances so i don't have faith in it but he is correct 
Mark, you got you got a thought on that? I mean, it's, you put out a pretty interesting thesis, and you know, again, you know, this all connects to the. Well, actually, let's get the DeFi piece in here real quick because that's just as important, right? So, uh, you want Mark? You want uh, Alex? You want to take that first? I mean, you know, like again, I think for a lot of people, DeFi is a tricky space even to fully understand exactly what's going on in it. Well, I, I, listen, DeFi is a beautiful space. Um, and the things that have been built in uh, decentralized finance uh, and the products that have been built are, are fantastic. I mean, from some of the best innovators, uh, you know, around the globe in crypto, the fact of the matter is it's called decentralized finance for a reason. Um, you know, and when you have a, uh, you know, a, a DAO, for instance, uh, getting sued, uh, one, I, I love to know. Who exactly is getting sued uh, at a DAO, considering it's not run by anybody? It's DeFi to the truest form of its uh, definition, uh, at least most of the big boys uh, products that have been created. So I don't know how you properly regulate it. I don't know that regulation is necessarily needed in the form of the SEC's mission, which is to protect investors and create uh, efficient free markets. Um, so I, I really don't know this road they're going down except for to further try to eliminate uh, and choke old crypto. Well, and, you know, again, back to what Mark always says, the feckless Fed and 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 the SEC, Gary Gensler, you know, the, the, the poser. I, I guess, Mark, you know, your last thought on this, I'm sure, is going to be, see, like, you, you've been, I told you so right so many times, it's scary. But they are, but Scary Gary is definitely going to, you know, be reaching his hands out. Yeah, and, and look, we have two agencies, right? I mean, this is not just the SEC. This is not just Treasury. It's the, it's the two main agencies that are responsible for regulating this industry, making these kind of remarks. Interesting that Jay Powell, in the context of his testimony today in Washington, would even get into this because how this relates to uh, clamping down inflation, dealing with you know rising interest rates. Um, I, I really hope that that Dr. Rutledge that was on with us earlier is right, and that we see cuts this year. I hope that you know Dr. J, uh, who's maintained that we're going to see cuts this year. I, I hope that they're both right and I'm wrong, and that the Fed will see the type of disinflationary uh, activity that I think we're already seeing, both in the labor market as well as on the core adjusted numbers that Dr. Rutledge pointed out. But but I have no faith, right? I, I just it's not that I don't have faith in them. I, I have no faith in in Powell. I have no faith in Gensler. I have no faith in them doing the right thing. And you know, I think it's getting to the point, Rob, where I think as you said on Tuesday, it's no longer about tin hats. It's no longer about suggesting there's a conspiracy or questioning why when you see a pattern of behavior that is all aligned to what can be readily considered. A, a central theme or, or a central purpose or a single purpose, right, which is to to get a hold at a government level over crypto, which they've done a very poor job of dealing with or regulating, if one can even claim that they've regulated thus far, and to take a, a hold on it from the from the currency perspective as it relates to a CBDC. And, and I, I think that the correlation or the similarities to how things have lined up in the banking sector, with the consolidation 
the elimination of many of the regionals. We're going to see more regionals fail as we have the impact of the CRE market, which I've talked about a lot. I won't get into now on this show, but I think it's the same pattern in practice. I think we need to be aware of it. Not sure there's much we can do about it, but I think we need to be aware that it's actually happening. Well, great, great insights as always. And look, we're going to probably carry some of this over. We're going to transition into the Beyond B3 show. Want to want to thank everybody who's been a part of this, um, from our market masters, Alex Massioli, Marco Presti, John Nigerian, Nick Mancini from Trade the Chain, Dr. John Rutledge, who came on, was an amazing guest with amazing insights. We will definitely have him on again, a, a market maker in his own way. And uh, to The Money Show, our sponsor, a quick reminder, B3 Nation, we're inviting you to join a free webinar, the Mid-Year Portfolio Review. Um, it's a great place to kind of adopt your strategies to the ever-changing market conditions. And as you can tell from listening to this show, we are changing all the time. So we've pinned the event leak. I don't know if it's up in the so-called crow's nest, um, but check that out. This is the Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain Twitter space, Tuesday, Thursday, 5.30 Eastern, Sunday edition at 5.30 as well. Follow us at Get Rev Radio. Follow all our hosts and stick around for Beyond B3 with Julie Lamb. Thanks for joining Rob Nelson, Alex Massioli, Mark Lapresti, and John Nigerian with another great episode of Bulls, Bears, and Blockchain twice a week on Revolution Radio. Whether you're new to the world of Web3 finance or an experienced investor, we've got you covered. Follow us on Twitter at GetRevRadio and visit our website at revolutionradio.io, helping you make smarter financial decisions. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.